Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and I'd like to have you read that with me. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Let's do it again. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Holy Spirit, you wrote the word. We ask you now to open our hearts to understand it. We choose to obey that which is from you. And I ask for grace to speak so that we hear you and not me. Come now and move upon us. Amen. It's interesting that the first lesson on learning to love my neighbor as myself has to do with honoring those God placed in authority over me as a child. And then he bundled into this commandment a warning that says, My life expectancy the availability of his resources, and my progress toward achieving his plan for my life are contingent upon my obedience here. You say, where did you get all those? Well, he repeats beats this commandment in Deuteronomy, and that there it's a little clearer. It says that it may be well with you and you live long in the land. He's quite clear. And so notice the three things. Life expectancy, availability of his resources, and progress toward achieving his goals. For them, their goal was to inherit the promises of Abraham, to live in that land that God had promised, to live long in it, which meant they would live there long enough to develop farms and homes and raise families and build cities, that they would develop what God had, not be there a short time. You and I, it will be that we remain in the place of promise. We remain in the place God has put us and allow it to grow and develop and mature into a, to a beautiful thing. This is not easy for me to hear as a typical American. I live in a culture that viciously criticizes and ridicules its leaders, that avoids the elderly, and suspects that submission is a scheme invented by people who merely want to exploit me. Once again, I am confronted with the fact that the way God thinks and the way my society thinks are vastly different. But if the Bible is really God's word and he means what he says... I could release some powerful blessings into my life by learning what it means to honor my father and mother. So let's look more closely. The first four commandments teach us how to love God with all our heart and mind and soul. The final six commandments teach us how to love one another. And isn't it interesting that God goes right after this primal thing, our relationship to our father and mother. When he starts teaching us how to love one another, he starts talking about honoring, respecting, learning the, the whole issue that is tied into this of submission, right at this painful place of our, right, uh, most primal place of our father and mother. He says, this is, I'm going to start teaching you how to love one another. Let's start right there. Well, I live in a society where submission to any kind of authority or honoring the elderly or honoring 
uh, relationship roles is simply not done. In fact, the culture goes the other direction now. Anybody who has any intelligence, any creativity, any self-respect has learned to paint outside the lines, drive outside the lines, and think outside the bun. You don't do anything anybody tells you unless you're some sort of twerp who's so stupid you're going to let people and systems control you and exploit you. So if you have any stuff within you, you're rebellious and defiant. And you watch the sitcoms and, and all of this and you, you look at the families that are modeled there. Father is always an idiot, if he's there at all. And then you have the children who are rude and cute and, and vulgar toward their parents and it's a funny thing when they sass them and are cheap in their talk toward their parents. It's so cute. The child usually has a good deal more sense than any parent. This is where we've come to and this is what's modeled for us so that you, you end up looking at the Bible and it's, it's, it's anachronistic. You think, man, this is so out of step. Well, and it is. Or of course, we're out of step. You have to make a decision here. Who are you going to stand before on the day of judgment? God the Father or Michael Eisner? <laughs> You're going to stand before the, the modern gurus of, of, and pundits of American society? Or are you going to stand before the God who wrote this book? That becomes the question. That becomes the issue. It's really the fundamental issue in this, in the, in this whole matter. Who has authority? Let's have a look at what God says because his ways are not our ways. And again, his commandment is so opposed to the thrust of our culture today. First of all, let's ask the question, what is honor? The Hebrew word honor is kabod. It means to be heavy, weighty, and can be used positively to mean someone is heavy with value and significance. You can think of calling someone a lightweight, meaning there's very little substance, very little value, very little whatever in that person. They're, they're light. Someone in this case is heavy. They're heavy with significance and purpose and value. You see the weight of that person. Now the word can be used negatively to mean someone's burdensome, but in this case it's clearly positive. You honor somebody by seeing their value. And their worth in your life. Since God is teaching us how to love others in these commandments. And that is the thrust, isn't it? The whole Old Testament is trying to teach two things. What are they? Love God with all your heart and mind and soul. And your neighbor as yourself. That's what the entire Old Testament is trying to teach. So it, since God is teaching us how to love others in these commandments. True honor must flow out of Christ-like love. It means we see someone as a gift from God and respond accordingly. You see, that's the, that is the, the key that changes the way believers think. We don't see people in terms of are they productive, are they healthy, are they young or are they old. We see human life and individuals as a gift from God. And we realize that God loves them whether the world understands this or not. It's why we care about life from the point, point whether it's a fetus 
or somebody who's so old that they, they have no function anymore, no abilities. We guard their life. We care for them. Why do we do that? Because of this. One of the things I've noted as I've traveled around the world is that in many nations of the world, which are not Christian nations, the care for the, the least among them, the lepers and AIDS and other kinds of things, is being done over and over by Christians. You go, go to the leprosy hospital, it'll be a Christian hospital in the middle of India. Go to, I've seen it over and over again. Why is that? Why do we want the lepers? Why do we want the people nobody else wants? This very thing. We honor that which God has made. We understand the value of human life. Sick, weak, old, young, doesn't matter. We understand this. In, so we honor, and in the way, we honor people in the way we think about them. We honor people in what we say about them. And we honor people in what we do to serve them. What does the fifth commandment say? Well, it says that God watches to see how we honor our parents. And based upon this, blesses us in three ways, or not. We'll have long life, first of all. We'll have abundant resources. In, in Deuteronomy, it refers to giving rain in its season and all of that kind of thing. Well, if we're farmers, that's what that means. If we're not, it means other things. But it's practical help. He will give us the resources we need. Thirdly, we'll continue to progress in God's plan for each of our lives. In that case, for them, it was to live in this land, to become a great nation. But he has a plan for your life and for mine. When uh, my wife and I were first married, uh, one of the things that I, I was surprised to find was that my father-in-law and mother-in-law were not thrilled at the Prince Charming that she had brought home. <laughs> Can you imagine? How could they have missed the wonder of it all? Actually, now that I'm as old as I am and have the perspective I have, I, I more or less understand why they were worried. <laughs> I do. I would have been worried too. Um, but I took it badly. Uh, they were not pleased, and it became apparent uh, that they were not pleased. And I had wanted a father and mother kind of thing. I was looking for that sort of, you know, and man, I just reacted and got angry inside and closed off and may I point out something when people sin against us that does not excuse a sinful response you see but you can explain I can explain my reaction I'm just telling you just because someone sins against us does not justify our sinful response to this and that's how I reacted I reacted in kind. If they don't love me, I won't love them. We'll finish this off. And so I went hard inside. I was right at this point where I'm out of college and I'm trying to find my direction in life and God had been guiding me and all of us, but, but for a period of time now, his voice in my life had grown silent. There was nobody on the other end of the phone. I would pray, I would seek him, I wanted to hear his voice. And there was nothing coming in the way of guidance for my life. And I was very frustrated. We moved out in this time to California. 
We'd been living in Minnesota. I started out in a seminary there. It was way too liberal for me, and I quit that. And, and so we were just kind of wandering, and we went out to, went out to California. And uh, no sooner had we gotten there than we got a telephone call, and we were not really asked. We were told we would come home to Mary's youngest brother's wedding. Well, I handled that as nicely as you would expect. My response was, no way. No way we're going back there. Not after all we've been through and, and this kind of thing. And they weren't even offering any financial help. And we were very poor at that point, just newly married. And, and uh, we were just supposed to go back there and all of this. And so Mary finally, uh, when I was somebody that I could be, could be talked to, she, she said this. She said, didn't Jesus say we're supposed to turn the other cheek and go the second mile? Well, I, I had heard that somewhere before. Ooh. Ooh. And I, I know I tried to figure my way around it. and I tried to come up with various explanations. But oh, mercy, I couldn't find one. You know what I, I didn't realize? I didn't realize that when God talks about your mother and father, he also made your mother and father-in-law. <laughs> he also made your, mother, your stepfather and stepmother. He also made your grandparents. He also made your aunts and uncles. And, and he's, he thinks this way. What I'm going to teach you out of this, I didn't get at the time. I only learned what I'm telling you in retrospect. Is after it happened, I look back and think, wow, is that what just went on? Well, I, may, I chose, and based just totally on the Word of God. I mean, I, I knew that thing was there, and so, all right, we'll obey it. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? I, will it's what I, I keep telling you, obedience is where your feet go, not your attitude. You know, attitude is in there, but... God watches where your feet go. And so we headed off in our, our little yellow Volvo and we headed across the desert at night. We had no air conditioning. And as we were driving into Las Vegas, Nevada, in the middle of the night, the moon is up. You can see the lights below. We're kind of admiring that. It's a beautiful sight. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon me very powerfully, completely unexpectedly, wasn't, wasn't doing anything uh, religious at all. Just here came the Holy Spirit and I knew that I knew that I was released from, I did not have to go back and live in Minnesota. Now I like Minnesota, but I thought that's where we were having to just go back. And I thought, oh, and I, all I knew was all of a sudden, I am not to live there. I'm, I'm not going back to live. And I stopped the car on the side of the freeway and I said, Mary, God talk to me. That we don't have to live in Minnesota. And so I took the car Right across the median, just jink, 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 and started heading down the freeway the other direction. And Mary said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've come this far. We might as well go the rest of the way. Now, come on. Minnesota's like 1,600 miles or something more, and we'd gone all the way to Las Vegas, Nevada. I was pretty easy to lead back then. So, oh, okay, <laughs> we'll turn around. So, I... So I bump, bump, bump across the thing and headed on. Uh, we got to, I remember we got to Rapid City, South Dakota, and they'd had a terrible flood. 
And uh, we had to go out and sleep in the KOA, w w in the car, with just bags of clothes laid over us. And in the process, I got terrible tonsillitis. That was the thing I used to get and when I got real tired and I was real tense, and I was. And, and so we arrived in Minneapolis, and here comes Mary and her Prince Charming, you know, and I'm full of tonsillitis, and we put me in a back bedroom and sort of leave me there. And... <laughs> and uh, I had time to think and be with the Lord. And at one point, I've only had this a couple of times where I've had a vision of Jesus. I mean, this is it's very rare. This is not a common thing for me at all. But I had a, a very real vision from Jesus. And as I lay there, he literally came to my bedside and he leaned over my bed. And I saw his face quite close to me. I didn't see the rest of him. It was kind of all light. But I saw his face. And uh, I remember his eyes. To this day I remember his eyes. And he didn't say a word. He just looked at me with the eyes. And instantly I knew what I was to do next in life. I was to go to Fuller Seminary in, pa in, in Pasadena. I didn't want to go to Fuller Seminary. I had a bad view of it at that point. It was a small seminary then. And it, it was, it was a, kind of a radio preacher school. Charles Fuller had this old-fashioned gospel hour show. I mean, you know, I, it wasn't what I was looking for. But I just knew that I knew that I knew. And it was already past time to apply to the thing, everything else. But I knew. I didn't put it together at the time. Why all of a sudden did he talk to me like this. I mean, he's giving me visions. He's showing up at my bedside. Out of the blue, his anointing enters the car. I had been spending all this time trying to get him to talk to me, trying to get some guidance from him, and it's absolutely silent. The phone is dead. And now, suddenly, he's just talking and clearly guiding me. He says, if you'll honor your father and mother, It'll go well with you and you will live long in the promise. I'll give you all the resources you need. I only in retrospect realized, that's it. When I humbled myself and, and submitted to the leadership of my mother and father-in-law in this thing, and I don't, I'm not saying you have to let them run your lives, that's my kind of thing, but this was an honoring. It clearly was just that, that I would go back, honor my brother-in-law in his wedding, Etc. When I did that, there was a release of God's guidance in my life. Why does God care so much about the way we relate to our parents? Why is this a big deal? It's because our parents are the most fundamental authority structure in our lives. This is where we learn to deal with authority. This is where we learn to honor. This is the place that it all begins. Human rebellion makes it very difficult to submit to the authority of others. That's one of the that's the, one of the major problems in our hearts is rebelliousness. In the Garden of Eden, we refuse to honor God by submitting to his authority. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree. They chose to eat of the tree. And you know, I think that tree was the knowledge of good and evil, meaning Adam and Eve said, no, we'll decide what's good and evil, not you. We will do what's right in our own eyes. We'll be as God, knowing what's good and evil. Thank you very much. Boy, is that the human condition. We wanted to decide what was right and wrong for ourselves. 
Next to being unloving, the greatest human problem is being unteachable and unsubmitted. It is a disease. It's a plague in us. And it hurts us enormously. So God is teaching us how to love and relate to him and others by asking us to honor our parents. He goes right to the root, right to the primal relationship and says, let's talk about that as he begins to teach us how to love. God is the one who established different levels of authority for all creation. From the angels to the animals. Here's a, something I want you to get a hold of. This business of honoring, this business of levels of authority, this, this kind of thing is not the result of the fall. It is not because sin entered the world that this was done. God ordered life like that before Adam and Eve fell in the garden. The angelic world has hierarchies of angels. There are archangels and all kinds of others. In human life, there, is, there, we, there are areas where we honor in family, in civil government. Paul says these things are set up by God. They're established by God. The order of the family, he says, comes from God. We call him father because he's the beginning of all families. It's true of civil, religious, fa uh, family, divine submission. This whole thing of submitting and honoring is something that's part of the very nature God made up. And listen to this. They also reflect his own nature for even, there is even submission among the persons of the Trinity. I give you the references. You can look them up later. Jesus constantly honored the Father. Now he's the eternal Son of God. He is the divine. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And yet what did he do? He honored his father. Now what does the father do? Well, he's constantly saying, Behold my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And he is causing the son, his precious son to have the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He wants the whole universe bowing to his son, that he might be glorified. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes along and he doesn't even speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus. He lifts him up constantly. He's here constantly drawing our hearts to fall in love with Jesus. I'm telling you, this is part of God's character. This is not a, a result of sin. This is not a plan B. And when it's part of God's character, it never goes away. Humility and submission are not punishments, nor are they evidence of being degraded to a lower value. Jesus, by honoring his father, saying, oh, I'm not really a very good God. He's not doing that at all. Honoring his father has, is no form of violation of who he is. He has no some admission that he is not fully the son of God. He's not saying that. He's honoring his father. You see, that's not in conflict. They are attributes of God. Therefore, now hang on to your hats, we will lovingly and joyfully honor others as well as God in heaven. I somehow had a picture in my mind when we got to heaven we would all wear these gray jumpsuits or something with numbers on them. I, I don't know, you know. Hey, number 34, how are you? 
I am very much looking forward to seeing my grandfather. He was a Christian man. I'm very much looking forward to meeting my grandmother, who I didn't know. She died the year before I, I was born. By everybody's testimony, she was an absolute angel. In fact, for all I can tell, she's the real adult in the family. And I miss, I miss her, though I didn't know her. Now, I'm not going to come up to my grandmother in heaven and go, Hey, Blanche, how you doing? That ain't going to happen. I'm going to say, Grandmother, I'm so pleased to meet you. And I'll still call my grandfather, sir. That will never go away. Do you understand? These are not fallen things. These are honorable things. This is the way life is. Each of us is expected to honor numerous authority structures in our lives. God, family, church, nation, school, employment, military, sports teams, clubs. It's everywhere. But the most fundamental authority structure of all is our parents. Why? First of all, it's because the way we learn to relate to our parents is the way we learn to relate to God. Children view God as a big parent. Now that's a, that's a terrifying prospect when you're a parent. Your children are learning about God. They are deciding what God is like by your parenting. Oh, mercy. None of us are perfect. Some of you right now have had very, very dysfunctional families. I'm going to speak to that in a little bit. I'm not going to ignore that. I know that. Some of you had wonderful parents, and you had the heart of God modeled to you, if imperfectly, nonetheless modeled to you wonderfully, and that is a tremendous gift you have received. But there's not a person that can't have this blessing. No matter what our parenting was, no matter what happened to us, we can have this blessing. The child that learns to defy, lie to successfully, or manipulate a parent will assume they can control God the same way. They will try denying, stonewalling, and manipulating God. It's, you see it all the time. It's just pathetic. You watch people try to treat God the way they do their parents. You watch them lying, you watch them evading, you watch them playing games as if God is this stupid parent in the sky. That he doesn't get it. This is the tragedy of it. When their children are raised badly, when there's a distortion, our relationship to God gets distorted. I think of a, young man, uh, of a situation where a, a friend of mine, he was a pastor, and he asked if I would come and talk to his son. Now his son had gotten into all kinds of criminal activity, but as of late was now moving into homosexual behavior. And he said, would you come talk to him? And I said, yes, I would. And I sat down with his son and I went through the things that were going on in his life and I said, do you realize that the Bible condemns this. 
I took him, I think, to probably to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, do not be deceived. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I said, that means heaven. Do you realize that your, your eternity is at stake? You're playing with fire. And he looked at me as coldly. I can, it just gave me, it just, it was awful to watch. He looked at me just as coldly and as boldly as he said. He says, yeah, I know that. And he did. And he wasn't a bit afraid of God or of his judgment. And I know why. That boy, his mama wouldn't let anything bad happen to him. No matter what he did, mom would come and pay and dad would just passively cooperate and we'd pay to get him, pay for whatever he stole. We'd go bail him out. We'd go make excuses. No matter what he did as he grew up, his parents re removed any form of punishment from him. You know, that's how you make a sociopath. Do you know what a sociopath is? A sociopath is a person who has no fear of punishment. No sense of, of, of repercussions from their behavior. Nothing will happen because of what I do. Now, in his case, here's what he decided God was. He was just like his mom and dad. Rules were meant to be broken. Sure, parents had rules, but all you had to do is get tough and, and sort of play a game with them and stonewall them and they would uh, back up and not do what they said they would do and, and just sort of love you and kind of want to whoosh over you and they figured God would do the same thing. He'd get up there and God looking right in the eye and spit, you know, and, and God would go, oh, hey, you know, we love you so much. Let's make an exception for you. He just figured God's going to do that. That's the horror of that kind of parenting. You know, there are neurotics and there are sociopaths. Neurotics are people that get overly disciplined and parented. They're just nervous as a tick. And, and, and the, every rule in the world they're trying to keep. Sociopaths over here, they don't figure any rules apply to them and they do anything they want with no fear or guilt. If you have to be one or the other, pick neurotic. <laughs> I'm really serious. I've watched neurotics, having been one. I have watched neurotics and they can generally keep a job. They can keep their marriage. They can function in life. Oh, they're always suffering internally and never doing well enough. But they can function. The sociopath is an absolute basket case. They cannot keep a job. They cannot have a marriage. They cannot do anything. They blow up everything they touch. If you have to be one, choose neurotic. Not that it's a choice. <laughs> The child that learns to trust and receive correction more easily learns to trust and obey God. Bad parenting almost always produces a bad mental image of God, but not always. In some cases, children flee to God for stability and safety and find comfort and order for their lives. I have watched situations where the family situation is so bad that the child basically flees to Jesus Christ and grounds themselves in the Lord and you end up with a child who is the adult in the family and a couple of basket, parent, basket case parents.
it's, it's kind of, it's tragic in its own way, but God sometimes brings some real good out of that kind of situation. When a child learns to honor parents, they learn how to work under authority. To be told to do things they don't want to do. To accept the answer no without a fight or emotional punishment. When we were raising our children, we learned to recognize the difference between crying and crying. Some crying is they're really hurt and they're crying and those, that you comfort that child. But sometimes when you tell the child no, they begin crying. But they're not crying because they're hurt, they're crying because they're angry and they're telling you off in their own language. And so I can remember on numerous occasions where the child is going, Bleh! you know, and we're saying, stop crying, no cry, Bleh! no cry. <laughs> and they would be second, stop it. <laughs> now, am I repressing my poor child's emotions? Meet my children. None of them are weak in their spirit or their self-esteem. There's a huge difference between the will of a child and the spirit of a child. The spirit is the fact that you love them, the value, the, 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 uh, the honoring of the child as a person. That's what makes them whole inside. Their will is another subject and that must be addressed and that's a tough matter, is the human will. So we're making them pull this in. I want my children to be able to be told no by an authority figure and not punish and blow everything up because they've been told no. I want them to be able to receive correction. Why? I want them to hear it from God, first of all. When he tells them no, I want them to understand it's no. But you know you can't succeed at work if you can't be told no. You can't succeed in education if you can't be told no. You can't succeed in a marriage if you can't be told no. Right now, you're watching the American society trying to raise children with never telling them no. And there's trouble to pay. There is trouble to pay for that kind of thing. They must realize that disobedience results in punishment. One of my children went through a, a, a troubled time. And in the long run, she made the right choice. And I, it was, I just felt like the, the, the anchor held at the last moment, it held, you know, and she did not go over the cliff, as it were. Then I asked her, I said, why did you stop and make those decisions? She said, well, Daddy, I feared God. That kind of fear is really healthy. That kind of fear just saved my daughter. That's not bad fear. I knew he was there. I knew these things are true. I knew if I defied him, there was trouble ahead. I feared him. I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to go there. Praise the Lord. Children need to be taught to tell the truth, to confess sin, and to forgive others. So a healthy relationship to God and human authority are established by properly honoring our father and mother. That's why he cares. We learn to follow directions. We learn to help others achieve their goals. We learn to work for other people's goals, to cooperate with a family, to serve another leader, to be out of the center of attention. The unwillingness to honor and submit causes trouble with family. I believe that one of, one of, one of the major causes of, of breakdown of people's lives 
is this subject of the inability to submit or cooperate or honor others. I see it in, I see people with gifting that is great gifting, great intelligence, good looks, you know, name what you want to name. I see people with all the attributes that should be great successes in life. If properly directed, that life has the ability to become something great and powerful and productive. No question about it. And yet you'll watch some of these people year after year and situation after situation, it always blows up on them. They're always getting fired. They're always quitting. The things are always breaking down. There's always the divorce or the separate. I mean, it's just like trouble just seems to plague that person. And do they have bad luck? No. Usually, if you get right to the root of the thing, they're rebellious. They're proud. They're unsubmitted and unteachable. And that stubborn core is just ruining their life. Employment, you watch people fired, you la lacking promotion, education, they're unteachable, they don't follow instructions. Some people have trouble constantly because they never even bother to read the rules on a test. They don't follow the instructions on the test and then they feel victimized because somebody held them to the rules on the test. Safety, disregarding of boundaries, warnings and procedures. I could tell terrible stories about people who are badly hurt because they simply disregarded principles of, of safety. Ministry, limited potential because a person is independent, uncorrectable or uncooperative. There's a whole breed of folk who want ministry, who want, love the Lord, and yet it's just one failure after another. Nothing ever seems to work and they don't know why. And I can pretty well tell you, not in every case, there can be other causes, but this is one of the major causes. They're unsubmitted and unteachable. God gives authority, listen to me, he gives authority to people who submit to authority. He says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He does. He does exactly that. And so for some, the key to a new life is learning to humble and be teachable, to cooperate and be patient, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in the proper time. And that blessing is waiting. It's there. But we've been shooting it in the foot every time something tries to happen. Root causes, I suppose, are fear. We're untrusting. I'm afraid if I submit or cooperate, you'll, ex you'll abuse me. That can be this real damaged view of any authority. Impatience probably means we don't believe that God's in control of my life. Pride, I should be leading, not you. That kind of pride just doesn't work. Honoring parents changes over the different seasons of our life. Now I'm going to talk about dysfunctional situations. I know some of us have come from that. And also, uh, honoring parents also has to express itself differently depending on the spiritual health of the parents. There are some of us here who have had ideal parents. We, those were parents that modeled the character of God. They were loving and they gave us justice tempered with mercy. How many of you would say, I had such parents? I had what you, ideal parents, really good ones, loving and justice tempered with mercy. Raise them high. I want to get a sense of this. 
Praise God. It, it varies widely in each service. It's been quite interesting. Now, now we're going to look at the other kind. Dysfunctional. The parent models an unholy God, as it were. Unjust, impure, cruel, unloving, fearful, angry. Not all of them, but basically you had a dysfunctional, troubling kind of environment. Some of you, I understand, had terrible, terrible situations which you literally have to flee for your own safety. I, I know that. How many of you say, oh, I came from a dysfunctional environment? Yeah, hold them up. Really, quite a few in this service as well. Uh, I, I came from a mixed one my, myself. Now, is it possible, is it possible to honor a dysfunctional parent? Is it possible to get this blessing working in our lives when our parents have sinned against us? Yes, it is. I don't have to sin in response to their sin. I can honor them. When my oldest daughter was about to be married, she came to me out of the blue and said, Daddy, I, if my grandfather is alive, I want him to come to my wedding. I said, oh, Sarah, don't go there. Please. I had not seen my father for 45 years. There had been absolutely no communication. I didn't know if he was dead. I assumed he probably was. I, last I'd seen him, he was five years of age. There's absolutely no communication or indication that there was anybody in existence anywhere else. I didn't know where he'd lived. I even looked for his name and the town he had been in and phone books and none of it was there. And so I'd just given it up as hopeless and that was going to be the end of it. I had done some praying. I will say God had started working in my heart and I'd done some praying, but when she said this, it just struck terror in my heart. I said, I want to enjoy your wedding, please. You know, and then she, but she was persistent. No, Daddy, I really want him there. Well, I mentioned this to a good friend of mine and, and he went on the internet and, and he called me up and he said, I found your father's name. There's only one of them in the state of California. I didn't know where my father was born. I didn't know his birth date. I didn't have anything like that. I just knew, um, I, I had my birth certificate which had his full name on it. And that was all back then. So I had his full name. And I... Uh, The phone number for this man was on our counter by the phone for quite a while. And I would look at that thing and i go, oh, give me a picture picking up the phone and dialing and saying, are you my father? Where have you been? I mean, this was just more than I could bear. I, I couldn't make myself do it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Finally, it was getting close to the wedding and Sarah was in the house and she was talking to me about it and I said, let me pray just a minute. Because she, she said this, she said, Daddy, I'll call. You'll call? My children are fearless. <laughs> it's kind of annoying. I mean, it's like, how did you get so much guts? How did, where did it come from? Because I don't have the same guts you do. Uh, any one of them. And... Uh, she says, I'll call if you just let me call. So I went upstairs and I said, oh God, what am I to do? And I, all kinds of pictures went through my head. I'm going to find this guy under a bridge. 
I'm going to have to put him out. He's going to have, have no money, and he's going to live in my basement, you know, or, I mean, my downstairs bedroom, and I'm going to have to take care of him the rest of his life, and oh, man, I'm going through all these feelings. You know what went through my head? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Honor your father and your mother, then it may be well with you, and you live long in the land. And I said to the Lord, I have honored my mother. <laughs> That's what he said. And he just kind of sat there silently and I said, well, I said, I'm the son. He's the father. It's his job to find me. And then the Lord said, how can you say you've honored your father if you've not even tried to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. You wouldn't even make a phone call. I was stumped. So I said, Sarah, go ahead. <laughs> I only got so much here. Hey, you got to know this. I mean, I experienced the most strange feelings in my life. You, 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 I can't tell you the stuff that went through me. I went numb. I, I mean, it was, it was insane, the, the feelings that went on. I didn't, anyhow. What happened? Well, I got to know him for about five years, and he died just a couple years ago. Heart disease and cancer. And um, I got to pray with him to receive the Lord. I think it took, I hope it did. Had an awful lot of Freemasonry in him, and that bothers me, and he wouldn't let it go. Um, as he was dying, I got to pastor him. Basically, I would call up and he was in Indiana. I get to call up and say, you know, Dad, just hang on to Jesus and pray for him, and he would feel the peace. You know, in fact, just the the day before he died, I called. He'd been in kind of a coma, but when I called, he pulled himself out of it. And his words were, he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was kind of sad. I said, Dad, I forgive you. I love you. Has it all been easy? No, it's still not easy. I met an uncle and some other things that are really icky. I have. I'm, I'm, I'm into it still. This has not been an easy ride. But I want to tell you one thing I know. I will live long, and it will go well with me. And I will live long in my promise. I know that. How can you honor a dysfunctional parent? You can pray for them. You can pray for them. By the way, some of you are saying, I'm off the hook, mine are dead. No, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> this attitude toward our parents, the attitude of the heart, the honoring is something you do as long as you're alive. It's a choice you make. It's an attitude you make. You may say there's almost nothing to honor. They have not earned any honor. There's, there can be absolute truth in that. But you can choose to honor them simply because they're your parent. And let me tell you this. They did give you life. And there's not another person in history that could have. 
not you. You may think you were some little baby floating around and waiting to come down a pipe for the next pregnancy. Oh, no, you weren't. We're your mother and father at that moment coming together. Somebody else would be here and not you. You'd have never existed. Without that man, without that woman, you wouldn't draw a breath. They have given you life. And now that you know Jesus Christ, you have eternal joy ahead of you. Don't tell me they've given you nothing. If they were the worst parent in the world. They have given you life and you now know Christ and you have in front of you heaven and eternity with him. We can refuse to abandon, at least internally, the attitude. We, can, we may have to provide for them in their old age. Jesus says that when I may, let Sarah make that phone call, I thought I might have to put him up in the downstairs bedroom. I didn't, but I was prepared to do it if I had to. Why? I don't know this man. He's abandoned me for all these years. Why should I owe him a thing? I don't, except I owe him honor. And Jesus says that means care for them in their old age. And so out of obedience and worship to Jesus Christ, I would do it. I would have done it. I was prepared to do it. We have to present the gospel as pray and watch for an opportunity to share Christ. To include them in family activities when possible. To maintain communication where it's reasonable. Some places, situations are bitter. I've already had people talking to me after service about some, some, just some really dysfunctional situations. But there's ways to do this in each one. What's the result? Well, first of all, we'll become more like Jesus. If we choose to honor our father and mother, our fathers and our mothers, our stepfathers and our stepmothers, in our words, in our hearts, in our actions. If we choose to do this, we become like Jesus. Say, did he honor his father? Let me just close by taking you to a passage. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is talking about the attitude of Jesus and asking us as believers to have that same attitude. He says this, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit Philippians 2 verse 3 but with humility of mind that's lowly mindedness is what the Greek means regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others and then he describes Jesus and he says who being in the form of God he's the divine son of God in all of his glory chose to take off all of his privileges of divinity like a coat and laying it aside, he became a man. And not only did he become a man, but he took on the worst form of death the humans had invented at that point, crucifixion on a cross. Now, verse 9, look what it says. For this reason, say those words with me. For what reason? Because of his humility, because of honoring his father by offering everything he had, the father has highly exalted him. Jesus is actually rewarded for his obedience in his atonement on the cross. 
How is he rewarded? Paul says it here. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ has literally been exalted to a high play, higher place of the, in the role of all of this, that all creation would come and worship him as Lord because of his great obedience and his honoring of his Father. Did Jesus honor his mother? Think with me. Did he honor his mother? Certainly honored his father. In the final moments of his life. It would be hard for any of us in here to understand the agony that he was in. Having been flayed into the horrible condition he was. Just stripped open. Crucified, beaten, pummeled with fists, beard torn out, nailed. Now in a condition where he has to lift himself up to breathe with every breath. He's dying slowly, slowly. Finally will die of probably heart failure, congestive heart failure. And John, the one disciple who did not abandon him and sort of hide and watch from a distance. John brought Mary, his mother, up. And they stood at the foot and just watched that. You can imagine Mary is probably reeling from just ready to faint at the horror of watching her baby have this done to him. This is appalling for her, so he's undoubtedly supporting her. And John's pretty sick himself. And Jesus hanging there lifts himself up so he can talk because he has to do that. The diaphragm won't do it otherwise. And he says, John, behold your mother. I can't take care of her. Joseph's gone. Would you be her son? And indeed he did. John took her the rest of his life with him. When he went and became the pastor of the church of Ephesus, Mary was with him. He cared for her as his mother the rest of his life. When you and I honor our father and mother, we're doing nothing more than having the heart of Jesus Christ. This is what he did. This is what he did. We receive help and release blessing from God. For God says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And finally, we will be given increased authority to the ones who learn to submit, to humble themselves, and to trust God. God gives authority to the proud, to the rebellious, to the bitter, to the angry, to the judgmental. He mercifully withholds Authority, so you can't hurt anybody else. Isn't he kind? Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes a minute? Let's let the Holy Spirit just talk to each of us.
I want you to know I'm not personally out of the woods on this thing. I, I still have a situation with an uncle I am walking through and this is, I'm not going in to tell you the details. You don't need to know. But it's, I'm, I am having to live out the very things I'm talking to you about right now. And, and yet they don't change. How are you with your father and mother? How is your attitude? How is the honoring? What's come in there? No excuses, no blaming. No but, but, but my mom or whatever. Just don't go there. How are you? On your side of the equation, we're not asking were they perfect. We're not asking do they sin. We're asking about your attitude, not theirs. How is your attitude towards your mother and father? Do you honor them? Are there steps you could take to honor them in, in, in truth? To go farther than just a little adjustment inside. Is there something more asked of you? How about your stepmother and father? How about your grandfather and grandmother? How about aunts and uncles? How are we? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, today, whatever has seeped into any of our hearts, whatever rebelliousness has been there, whatever lack of honor that we've given, we repent of it. And we want your blessing. And we choose out of faith and out of love to you, to honor father and mother, all our fathers and our mothers, to honor them in thought, in word, and in deed. Come, Holy Spirit, show us how. It'll be different for every one of us. Show us how to live this out. Give us wisdom now and grace. And by faith, we just declare this over our lives. It will, will be well with us. Say that with me. It will be well with us. And we will live long in the land. And we will live long. Let's say that again. It will be well with us. And we will live long in the land. Come Holy Spirit. With that blessing and that abundance. Come with your grace upon our households and our marriages. Our singleness. Bless us and cover us O oh God. As we become honoring men and women. We thank you for this now. In Jesus mighty name. If that's your prayer. If you are ready to respond. And let God do that in your heart. Would you say amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast. Please click the like button. Subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information. Just head to our website. LifeLessonsPublishing.com that's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.